Welcome to the Hammer and Quill, a Bonhoeffer House podcast, exploring the good, true, and beautiful in the lives and vocations of interesting people. This is episode 20, an interview with Philip Martin. Welcome to the studio here in the basement, in the bowels of Valley Bible Church in Radford, to our interesting friend, Philip Martin. What's up? It's good to have you here. Philip, in the basement, we have, uh, you know, this is actually our second attempt at this. Episode 20, take yeah. two. Episode yeah. 20, take two. Because we have a failed experiment as YouTubers. Yeah. We planned a, a multimedia experience <laughs> for episode 20. And wh- what we learned was, is we're not good at that. <laughs> we're not ready for that life. <laughs> we don't have the staffing for that. Audience, the fact is, is Michael and I were great. Jesse just was a train wreck and all over the place. He didn't know what was going on. And he mysteriously said we didn't record last time. I don't know what happened there. (laughs) Yeah. I've always wanted to use that sound effect. Yeah. Hey, welcome to the show. Um, one, one of the ground rules that we have here is that you don't come out of the gate insulting me. <laughs> See, so that's going to be I, pretty I, hard, Jesse. I thought that I made that clear before we hit record. Yeah. Now, here's the truth of the matter is we had a great setup. We were at the Radford Coffee Company Roastery. We had a video camera. We had, uh, Philip did this whole thing where he was brewing coffee for us in a, in a Chemex like he was a scientist yeah and it was it was amazing the video we actually got the video it recorded a video yeah um i forgot to hit record on our audio recording device yeah and that is why it didn't work correct yeah and so i'm not ready i'm not ready for the life of a multimedia influencer yeah i'm not ready so one day stick with the one platform yeah one thing we're just gonna we're sticking with this it works (laughs) yeah and so we're just going to stick with it. And, and one day we hope to record a video that uh, uh, can accompany this. Yeah. And, you know, a, a follow-up episode where we can actually get into that multimedia experience where uh, we might, rather than talk so much about vocation and the coffee industry and coffee itself, we might get more into manual brewing, grinding, you know, how to, how to do things. Maybe we could get you to do you do the Chemex for us, but maybe next time we get you to run through, like, here's three different, you know, ways to brew coffee. Oh, yeah, man. It'd be awesome to set up and do, like, simultaneous brew on Chemex and Stag and, like, the Mir Porigami and that kind of thing. Yeah, the, of course, the Porigami. Yeah, it's literally a, a coffee brewer I have in my pocket right now. Wow. Wow. Just that's, in case. That's, he's proven his bona fides. Yeah. <laughs> that's legit. <laughs> I, I've got this... Uh, Coffee brewer in my you pocket. You never know when you might need to manually mm. brew coffee. Mm. Yeah. That's right. You know what I had this afternoon? Look at that. He's got a super cool little pouch. So that's a mirror porigami. We'll link yeah. to that in the show notes because I'm super impressed. Whoa. Oh, no way. Yeah, Come like on. <laughs> oh, he's, do- he's assembling this we- thing. It looks like a little um, experiment that my son would build. Wow, that's super cool. And it has filters in the other part of the... Your- Carrying case. Yeah. That's crazy. All right. So, origami. It looks like origami. Yeah, I get yeah, it. Yeah. I get it. Fits in your pocket. That's amazing. That is amazing. Okay. Yeah. So, we could do that simultaneously with a Chemex, with whatever. Else. Oh, I could bring my Nespresso. Yeah. <laughs> and we could do look at like a side by side comparison. 
Phil, that, Phil versus the robot. <laughs> <laughs> Phil versus the machines. Phil versus the machine. Follow up uh, to episode 20 of the Hammer and Quill. Who will win? Yeah. Can we hold off the machines any longer? Yeah. I think so. Nespresso, you know, yeah. I like my Nespresso, but... If I could have a, like a little Phil who just makes me coffee, I would totally <laughs> trade an espresso in without even thinking twice. Well, listen, we're glad you're here with us, Philip. This podcast is all about the good, true, and beautiful, uh, really looking at vocation and calling uh, through the lens of Philippians 4.8, which says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, Think about these things. And so, and really, Philippians 4.8 is, is trying to draw our eyes back to the beauty of the gospel. And in particular, as we look through the lens of how people live out their vocations or calling, we want to look through that lens of what is it that is worthy of imitation? What is lovely and commendable about the way, uh, in this case, you, Philip, are living out your vocation and your calling unto God uh, for others in a way that honors him. And so, uh, so yeah, why we wanted to have Philip on. Philip is the head roaster for our local nonprofit coffee shop, Radford Coffee Company, which we're very proud of here in the community. It's doing a lot of uh, a lot of good work towards the common good of our own community and communities in uh, Central America, Nicaragua, in part through the work that Philip does behind the scenes roasting coffee. He's a friend who I've known for over ten years. How long has it been, Philip? I think two thousand seven. And that's because that's when you came to college. Yeah, that was my freshman year at Radford University. Go Highlanders? Sure. <laughs> okay. Okay. Not Ouch. a lot of pride there, but I, I I I make up for it. I have a lot of pride. So that's so. There can do only the be math one, here. right? <laughs> okay. That's the Highlander. Uh, oh, although, sorry. Although I'll take that. I'll receive that. And credit it to you as righteousness because it's a super cool mascot. Okay, 13 years. He's also my personal coffee guy. You know, back in the day, people had a milkman. Gone. Are the the milkman are, milkman's gone. Now it's coffee. But guy. I got a coffee man. He drops a bag of coffee off at my house each week. He's been working out his vocation in the coffee industry these past few years. We think that he has a unique perspective on the importance of growing in excellence in your craft, learning how to do what you do better and better in order to serve God through serving neighbors in the community. And we're hoping to pick your brain today a little bit, not just about how to, uh, how to serve God in, in maybe a um, unique way through the coffee industry, but also uh, about coffee and about how to brew it and how to choose it and how to drink it. And so, Philip, please introduce yourself. What we do here on the podcast is we ask the same question of every guest what would be on the back of your baseball card? Ah, uh, you know, I spent a little bit of time thinking about this, and I'm gonna go have to go with a brief little description of a contest that the the baseball card company is running. Like a get your name name and face on a baseball card. Just send in so many proofs of purchases and so on. You can be on a baseball card just like. The schmuck. Okay, so so you're you're <laughs> taking this in a different way, which I which I find interesting. Such an interesting question. It's like a Rorschach test, it right? It really is. <laughs> because you're taking this as like you could ne you'd never have a baseball card. So the only way a baseball card would ever happen for you is if like there was some sort of giveaway for yeah. an yeah. organization. 
Yeah. So here's what we here's really what we're looking for here, <laughs> Philip. Is uh, tell us about yourself. Okay. You know, are you married? What do you do? How long have you lived in the area? How many goats do you have? For instance, might be an interesting <laughs> fact about yourself. Okay. Uh, so so yeah, take it. Take us away. Tell us about yourself. Yeah. So. There's a few things there. Um, first off, seriously, on the back of a baseball card, I would see it a, a quote, a very particular quote from George S. Patton, that, which says, do your damnedest always. Mm. And that was a quote that he wrote in the front of every notebook that he carried in his back pocket, which is another habit, another tool that I've actually mm. picked up from him. So which, you've got a little back pocket notebook right next to your um, origami yeah. brewer. Yeah. Your, your origami. Oh, it's the same. Look at that. That's yeah. so cool. What is, what is that thing made out of? Is that leather? Yes, yeah, it's, it's leather. I've got a couple of field notes, notebooks in there. Ooh. We'll, we'll yeah. link to that in the show notes. Yeah, one is I set it aside for personal thoughts or ideas or Random things that come aside. Note or, to self, socks before shoes. <laughs> you have no idea, man. <laughs> um, but the other one is a little taster's journal. And literally Ooh. every time I'm somewhere getting a meal or getting a drink, getting Ooh. a cup of coffee, if it tastes different or peculiar or there's something in there I'm trying to figure out, I'll literally sit down and write out the palate notes of what I'm getting on the mm. on the nose and what I'm getting on the finish of it and the experience of it. Ooh. And, and that's that's something that kind of feeds back into what I have to do as a head coffee roaster and barista and everything tied into the coffee world. Yeah, um, that that is that is really interesting to think about the way that you're pursuing vocational excellence. Yeah. Even when you're just out to eat. Yeah. So when you eat like a good steak or something, are you are you taking like, or is it just when you're drinking coffee? Dude, it's everything. Right, because isn't it right that to develop, so in, in order to be able to know what you're tasting with coffee, like I've seen the coffee tasting wheel. Yeah. yeah. And it's like, there's all these things where I, I don't, I'm like, I don't know what that is. Some of them are like inedible, right? Yeah. Cedar oh, yeah. pencil shapes. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. There's like one whole corner of the gasoline. wheel. Gasoline. Yeah, gasoline, <laughs> petrol, burnt rubber. It's things that I mean. You can guess though. Yeah, I, I suppose. You, you ever you ever had? Um, you don't have to taste a particular those kind of moonshine. <laughs> you maybe know what some of those you know, kerosene oh, tastes yeah. like. Or and and this is gonna sound. Bad. I'm not saying I know from experience, <laughs> yeah. but, but um, some of the decaf coffees out there will live in mm. that little corner because I'll be like, okay, this stale, this tastes stale or bready or like cardboard. Mm. Mm. Uh, yeah, so 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 you've got the taster's wheel, and in order to really be able to know if your coffee tastes like apricot, you need to taste an apricot and maybe take notes. Yeah, no, and that's that's actually something. Without diving too far into what tasting looks like, without talking about too much what developing your palate looks like, it requires just tasting and going through things, figuring out why certain things taste like they do. I actually have a little bit of a theory tied to this, tied to language theory almost. Oh, that, wow. Yeah. I wasn't expecting to uh, go there. That part of the reason most folks will taste something, taste a cup of coffee or sip a glass of wine and be able to say, hey, I, I recognize this flavor or that there's something there, but I can't identify it. What it is is we're so used to, as people, identifying a food we're eating by name, saying, I'm eating this apple. And I bite into it, and 
there are all these qualities. It's crunchy, it's juicy, it's a little bit sweet, it's a little bit tart, it has these certain flavors. And we don't think to associate that with apple. We just associate apple with all those qualities and set it aside. And I've had to force myself to kind of switch that process to almost make myself intentionally blind taste Mm. a lot of stuff Mm. for the sake of when I'm tasting a cup of coffee, I get a particular side note or a particular aromatic that just pops out of it. And it, it rolls out and I say, oh, th- th- this reminds me of something. And because I've focused on the qualities, because I've focused on the minutia instead of labeling it and letting that be, it makes a quick connection for me. Okay. And things like that tasting will you mention contribute to that because it, it breaks off and divides. It's like, okay, you, you're tasting something that's in the stone fruit category. It's a little bit more tart. You follow it out and you say, okay, apricot. Mm. Or apricot. (laughs) So rather than going from the general to the specific, you've been trying to like bypass the general altogether and say, this tastes tart, this tastes whatever, before saying this tastes like apple. Yeah. (laughs) And I mean, which is, yeah. And I hear that. That's usually where I stop. Yeah. Mm, Apple. (laughs) Mm. Pizza. Fruit. (laughs) I mean, with that, you get this awesome opportunity, like take an apple, for example. You bite into it and you taste through and you're thinking through all these weird flavors that pop up. And as a result, you get this opportunity to just reflect on the beauty of, man, this is a Honeycrisp apple. And there are some really mm-hmm. awesome flavors that I don't get out of a Gala or a Fuji apple. Mm-hmm. Yeah, honey, Honeycrisp all the way for sure. If we're, yeah. I mean, as long as we're on the topic. Yeah. They're so. The so that's really helpful to hear, and and I'd love to pick that back up when we think about some some really some tips and tricks about uh, the coffee industry and even about developing vocationally. But let's circle back around because we still don't know much about the back of your baseball uh, card, other than it's got some <laughs> yeah. sort of strange giveaway advertising yeah. space. You're, you know, you're selling off the <laughs> advertising space on your baseball card. So tell us about yourself. Uh, you know, more personal. All right. Well, I'm married to a very wonderful, very beautiful wife, Priscilla. Mm. And between the two of us, we've spent the past few years developing this kind of farmstead home life where we're raising a few goats, a few sheep. We've raised a few sheep for slaughter, which beforehand I was not a fan of lamb chops. And man, I'm a huge fan of lamb Mm. nowadays. Mm. Mm. So you you can't get too attached to these sheep then, I, I assume. You don't name them, do you? No. You don't want to know the name the, of the sheep you're eating. The, the well, rule, some people do. Don't some people they? do. Yeah. yeah. The the rule I have we when a sheep is born, we decide okay this this is probably going to be for eating or this one's going to be breeding stock. Okay. And depending on which we name it or don't. Ah, uh, this one's Craig. <laughs> this. <laughs> this is Bill. Uh, this one is just nothing. This is just sheep number two. Dude, I've I've literally named sheep lamb chop. Mm, mm, lamb chop one, lamb chop yeah. two. Yeah. Okay. Okay, so you got some sheep and goats. Yeah. Farmstead. We, yeah, we have a, a few pigs right now, and we just partnered with some other friends of ours who were raising out 50 or so chickens mm. to butcher and to to throw into the freezer for the next year or so. Mm. So we've we've got that going. My wife runs a house cleaning business in addition, in addition to that. Mm. Um, and beyond that, I mean, we're, 
we're committed to being part of the town, being part of the church. And you've been here for 13 years before that you were not far away, not far from where you live now. Yeah. I grew up in the Roanoke area Mm -hmm. and actually before I started college had spent a good amount of time in Radford, not necessarily pursuing my best life. Oh, you were coming to the parties. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. If you, if you're listening and you're not from the area Radford is known as a party school. Is it still? I don't know. I think it's kind of relaxed a little bit. I think it's relaxed. Yeah. That's that's cool. That's good. Maybe, maybe yeah. not. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, maybe you just don't go to them anymore. Maybe you're just yeah. getting older and, you know. I mean, I, do, I also well, don't I, go to them. I just yeah. want to be clear that I'm not hanging out at the, <laughs> at the university <laughs> parties, fraternity basements yeah. anymore. Um, but it was really about that life for a while. As a matter yeah. of fact, there used to be this thing called Quad Fest. And, and that's a real defining thing. Like if you're listening and you know what Quad Fest is, you're an OG Radford person because they shut it down. Yeah, you're from the era. Yeah. yeah. The party era. That means you also know what crusties are. Yeah. I'm going to let that, I'm just going to leave it out there. I'm saying, yeah, like I'm in you don't it, know. but I went, yeah, you I went, went to, to Virginia You went tech. to Tech. I, I would have gone to Tech, but I, <laughs> I got into Radford. Yeah, I, I would have gone to Tech if they would have let me in. Yeah. No, they never admit that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Go Hokies. All right, so yeah. hey, here here at the Hammer Quill, we're all about exploring how God is honored in a variety of vocations. So in other words, we want to take vocation and honoring God out of the realm of just uh, maybe full-time ministry, right? Mm-hmm. It's not just pastors and missionaries who are called by God at a particular yeah. um, jobs and careers and places and neighborhoods and farmsteads. And so uh, so we'd love to, you know, we're all about exploring that. Tell us a little bit more about your vocation. What do you do? What does a week in, a, in the life of a coffee roaster look like? All right, so I effectively have maybe three or four roles that I play in my average week, in addition to husband and shepherd and so on. But the primary roles are head coffee roaster for Radford Coffee Company, barista at Radford Coffee Company, business owner and entrepreneur at the Chipped Mug Coffee Company. And then there are some other supervisory admin roles and a few other things. Mm. So I spend maybe eight to 10 hours a week behind the counter at Radford Coffee Company slinging lattes. Mm. Mm. Um, Sling those lattes. Yeah, yeah, man. And honestly, that that's something that I would, would probably not give up if I okay. had to. Yeah. I mean, that's sort of a unique thing, I think, for a lot of coffee roasters to say. Mm-hmm. But there's a couple of reasons there. One, it gives me a direct connection to my yeah, customer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As a coffee roaster, I want to know what my customers are tasting, what they like, what they don't like. If I hear things like, hey, the espresso is tasting a little bit sour today, or this Honduras doesn't necessarily taste what I would expect a Honduras to taste like. I want that immediate feedback without it coming mm. through channels and getting different biases and so on. The that's other, cool. The other end of that is, and that that's kind of step one of where I would tie ministry and worshiping Christ and loving Christ through vocation into what I do is there are a lot of folks who want to come hang out at a coffee shop and they want to come sit down at a bar and hang out for hours at a time, maybe study, maybe just develop a little bit of community. Mm. But through some of these guys over the course of years, I get an opportunity to know them. I get an opportunity to live life alongside them. They'll invite 
coffee shop employees to their parties, or they'll talk about what's going on in their life. Perhaps there might be a husband who comes in at 7.30 a.m. and he's, he's regretting the blow-up conversation he just had with his wife on the way out the door. Mm. And it, it gives this, this unique opportunity to come alongside them, mm-hmm. maybe through having known them for years, have an opportunity for them to ask for input, to want to hear something, and eventually lovingly share some real grace and truth with them. Mm. That's really cool. I saw that in action this morning, not with you, but with uh, the manager, with uh, with Rachel. Oh, yeah. I was in the coffee shop at Radford Coffee Company with a member of our city council who I was having coffee with, a friend of mine, and uh, it was just cool to see him kind of get back uh, almost behind the the counter to just spend time talking about how the business was going, how she was doing, and, of course, vice versa. And so... I think that's a really unique thing, you know. Uh, yeah. Maybe, maybe it's interesting. We, in Southwest Virginia, which is not Southwest Virginia, if you're listening. Right. Southwest Virginia. Virginia. Um, not that there's anything wrong, wrong with West Virginia. We, we love our listeners out there. Sure. <laughs> but uh, in our region, we've got, a, we've got a pretty cool coffee culture. Yeah. That wasn't there 10, 15 years ago, right? We've got... Um, We've got Hayden and Tony and Grace out at, at Red Rooster, and they've got a phenomenal staff and, and are really doing a lot of, uh, not just employing a lot of people, which is already a really good thing to do in a small town like yeah. Floyd, but, uh, but doing a lot of good work in the community. Yep. We've got Luke and the team at Brew Coffee. We've got, um, uh, you know, I heard... Uh, Paul. I've heard Paul let moved, yeah. but Idego or Idigo or Id, Idigo... It's kind of one of those things. It's postmodern. You just pick the name, but that's out in Blacksburg. Um, we had uh, we've got our friend Quincy up at, at Roasters Next Door in Roanoke, and actually a lot of them that are roasters are also still, you know, working the counter. Yeah. You know, pulling shots, making drinks, which I think is a pretty cool, you know, uh, thing that we've got going for us in our region. Pro- probably in part because. Our businesses, with the exception of Red Rooster, which is really unique, uh, aren't able to maybe get as big as some of, you know, what Intelligentsia maybe can do in Chicago or something like that. So, but I like that. I like hearing hearing the kind of the heart behind that as far as, you know, in a way, especially in small college towns, we don't have the 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 uh, the old school like bar or pub life where really our bars and pubs just are mostly like college student hangouts. Yeah. And so we yeah. got, but we got the coffee shop. Yeah. We got the coffee shop. So when you're, when you're roasting, so that's your time behind the bar, keeps you connected to the customer, helps you see like, this is what people are enjoying. When you're roasting, what's that look like? Paint a picture for us. Oh, that's, that's a huge picture to paint. And, <laughs> um, I say that partly because in roasting, I primarily serve as the product developer, taking the coffees that we get in and spending time with them based on what region they're coming out of, based on what processing method they are, playing around with a couple of roast profiles and picking out what draws out the natural flavors mm. best. Mm. Um, which, tied in with that, I incidentally am also the chief green buyer for Radford Coffee, where I work with our importers, a couple of big guys, a couple of really, really small guys, to focus on sourcing where our coffee's coming from, <coughs> Figuring out 
what we want it to taste like, figuring out what we need to fit our current blends. And honestly, it's, it's a little bit of that kind of creative end tied with a lot of time standing <laughs> at a coffee roaster and running it, watching the coffee ro- rotate through the roaster, paying attention to what it smells like and yeah. looks like and sounds like and how fast it's turning in the drum and, and all of that to, to hit very, very precise but almost very fluid precision points. Yeah and that coffee to get it to taste exactly what we want it to be like. Mm. So you're buying green beans, roasting them at different to different degrees. At so. least 100 degrees. <laughs> yeah. So some of them light, some of them I know, dark. I know a lot of stuff. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then you're tasting you're tasting the different roasts yeah. and the different beans yeah. and and coming up with which ones do I like the best? Which ones do I feel good about serving to our clientele? That's that's yeah, man. a lot going on. And, yeah. and uh, one of the things that I find interesting about what you just, just described is number one is it's a lot, it's pretty complex. Yeah. There's a lot of, um, you know, there's a lot to it. It's not just somebody standing back in a room, pressing a button and yeah. then like taking a nap until it's the, not the even final product. It's not even just get beans Put them in put roaster, in roaster, <laughs> which is how, how I would imagine it was. Right, right. Uh, and uh, and it made me think too of, um, you know, it, it, what makes that a particularly Christian vocation, or uh, or or allows you to do it in ways that are particularly faithful to God and, and honoring to Him. Um, aren't it's not really about um, are you listening to worship music while you're roasting, right? I mean, you can. Uh, uh, I, I would argue that you probably can't. Oh, why? Because it's too too distracting? It's a little bit distracting, but a good majority of the roasting process requires you to be so hyper-honed in, not just on the mm. visual, not just on the olfactory. You're, but listen, you're listening. Yeah, you're listening for what it sounds like. And mm. there are a couple of key points in the coffee roast that if you miss those, mm. if you miss them by even a few seconds and don't adjust the temperature or don't uh. adjust the airflow, it's going to throw things off. So you might be listening, you know, when, when a green coffee bean is roasted, there are, there's a, there's a crack. Yeah. Right. It's not quite as pronounced as popcorn. It's pretty pronounced. But it's pretty pronounced, right? Yeah. yeah. And so if you, and, and you're saying, uh, even as you're listening for that crack, when you hear the first one happen, sometimes you're going to adjust temperatures and yeah, that's cool. I want to watch this. Yeah. And, and so it, it reminds me of, Luther, who talked about how the a Christian kind of way of thinking about vocation is not just slapping a cross on poorly made shoes. A Christian cobbler doesn't have to quit their job to become a pastor, uh, doesn't need to, um, you know, uh, slap a cross on po- poorly made shoes, but really needs to make excellent shoes that are going to benefit their neighbor, help them, you know, walk without getting blisters or, or their shoes falling apart too quickly. And so in this case, being excellent at what you're doing because it's connected to loving neighbors. Uh, it's connected to um, serving people in the community uh, is, is in part what makes it a particularly, um, you know, a, a way in which you can honor God uh, without it having to be explicitly, you know, we're roasting Christian coffee beans. <laughs> oh, uh, absolutely. And, and the analogy that I like to use and it's part of what draws me back to where, what God's role in all of this is. I mean, obviously he has his hand in all of it, but 
there's an unmistakable point with these coffee beans where he's creating through these coffee trees, these coffee shrubs, this very particular bean. And you have huge variables such as particular microclimates or weather patterns in a given year or amount of sunlight or famine or drought Mm. or whatever that I think it was the last batch of Ethiopia that I wanted to buy. I talked to our importer and asked him if he could direct me to a few different things within a particular flavor range. Mm. And he sent me about a dozen samples of Ethiopian coffee. And I set up a pure blind tasting, ran through everything, looking for what I what flavors I needed. And narrowed it down to two, did a side-by-side tasting, finally decided on one that I really wanted to run as our as our house Ethiopia. And then backtracked and applied the information to it, where it came from and and all of that stuff. And I found out that those two last coffees that I tried, those two last Ethiopias, were both from the same farm in the same region, grown by the same guy, processed the same way. It was just micro lot A and micro lot B off of that particular lot, Mm. which translates to it was literally one side of the estate, particularly maybe on an east-facing hill versus a west-facing hill. That's wild. (laughs) And so you're yeah. saying in that in that situation, even you as the as the head roaster, and you're 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 um, you're being worshipful as you're as you're gathering these these beans and making decisions because you're recognizing and ascribing to God a, a sort of um, honor and credit for man. You know, ultimately, you're you're just you're just you're just taking what God gives you. Yeah, you're not infusing this bean with flavor. You are you drawing, are drawing out, out yeah. what's already present. Absolutely. It, it's a very Romans one twenty thing where God and all of his in, invisible attributes are being demonstrated in this little, mm. this little micro. One fruit. little bean. Yeah. One little fruit thing, whatever that is. Not a bean. Yeah. I mean, it is a bean. It's, it's actually the analogous to the pit of a cherry. It's a pit. Yeah. Coffee pit. Yeah. <laughs> Just go uh, to the store and pick up some coffee pits. Yeah. I can see why beans has really yeah. stuck. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and actually in our failed, um, YouTube ex- experiment, yeah. um, rip RIP to that, uh, <laughs> you mentioned Philip, how in some ways your job is like a sculptor and how a sculptor looks at a stone or marble and, and is, is essentially going, what's already here that I'm going to draw out. Yeah. Exactly. You know, how can I, how can I cut away from what is present in the stone rather than you're not like taking stuff and building it and making it You're you're taking what God has given you and saying, all right, how can I draw out of this what God has already put into it? Exactly. And I mean, sometimes I feel like I get a little bit more input into what that looks like with blending certain coffees and so on. But even then, ultimately, the only reason those flavors I can play with or those things I can draw out of the coffee, that they're not anything that I'm infusing into it. It's like you said, the analogy of a sculptor. It's removing the negative negative things that Mm. would distract away from this beautiful picture of flavor. Mm. Mm. Speaking of a a beautiful picture of flavor, I, I'm looking over there and I'm noticing you've got a coffee thermos. You've got Mm. what I, what I, what appears to be three different mugs. Yeah. Uh, And if you're listening at home, you're going to hear some noises right now. Those are the noises of Philip pouring us 
something beautiful. Tell us about what you brought for us. It's, 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 pretty, it's pretty late in the afternoon. This is a risk for me. Really? I feel like you drink coffee late. I do, but here's the why it's a risk is I just drank coffee. You just drank coffee I just drank late. my Nespresso. My oh, robot okay. just made me some coffee. <laughs> and so now I'm going with more afternoon coffee. And that's 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 a bold move for me. Yeah. I'm going to be up late. I'm going to have to see if Jenny will stay up with me. I'm typically a one. I'm a one cup a day. Afternoon? One yeah. cup a day? Yeah. Are you insane, man? <laughs> I mean, that's cool. That's I've whatever. Got a, you got to do it. Uh, enough anxious energy uh, on uh, my own without um uh, without needing to add caffeine. yeah so my theory about anxiety and having like that anxious energy inside that feels like it's gonna like crush your soul uh-huh. is feed it with more caffeine <laughs> and so i don't understand how you can just do one cup of coffee a day now i will be honest it has not worked well for me <laughs> but the feeding next, it caffeine yeah yeah but one day it's bound to work. If you so my isn't my that thing, the definition of insanity? No, no, no. If you do the same thing over and over again, sometime it's going to change. Yeah. I think that is that is that a thing? It's, maybe yeah, that's keep it up, Jesse. Okay, Philip, tell us. Let's enough about me. Tell us about this coffee. What are we drinking? Let's talk a little bit about coffee itself. Okay, so to prime you on what you're drinking, that Ethiopia I just mentioned is what's in your cup. Mm. Um. Micro lot A. Mm, this this is no no this is micro lot B. Oh, okay. <laughs> I think this is the east facing hill. I you don't know. I it's actually okay. lost track of that. Okay. Uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> but uh, this is Ethiopia Kion Mountain from the Shakisto farm. It's roasted to a light roast, which you mentioned oh. that that particular pop you hear in coffee roasting. That means it's. I stopped roasting. I actually dropped it and started cooling it right in that first crack that okay. first pop range what is what is what what's like dunkin donuts <laughs> um like I, if this is first crack you start cooling it right after what's what's dunkin donuts you know this is going to be a travesty to the people who live on dunkin if you if you live in new england right now <laughs> I, i'm going to encourage you just to just to, just to yeah. skip ahead like 2 minutes because your your sacred cow is about to be Slaughter. Yeah. Oh no. Uh, yeah, right. I, I I've never actually had Dunkin' Donuts coffee. All right. The, so then how do you know? I like or like eight o'clock. Just how just, about Starbucks? Uh, let's let's sure. pick up Starbucks. Dude, sure. The, the last time I went into a Starbucks, I took my own French press and oh, coffee. Oh, this is so pretentious. And I asked Would you for ask for hot water? water? Oh my gosh. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> That is so wrong. He whipped out the uh, origami. Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, to be fair, it was a Starbucks on a college you campus. You brought your... Okay. Okay. Yeah, that's yeah, a little the, different. You're yeah, talking the, about like the Starbucks that's in the student center. Did you like yeah, know the barista? That's a bit different. Oh, no. Okay. I, I, I didn't know anyone there. I think I got away with it because I got oh like my a gosh. Italian soda or something like that. Mm. Did you did you ask them to... So you asked them to grind some beans for you? Oh, no, no, no. No, you I, brought I, your I, own. Yeah. I, I, oh, my gosh. Yeah. Oh man, that's okay. amazing. So, okay, so back back to first, this compared to say eight o'clock coffee or yeah. Starbucks. Like eight o'clock coffee, Starbucks, Dunkin'. I'm gonna throw them, and this is gonna offend some folks, into a very similar lot. Um, they're all roasted into a medium to dark roast range, uh-huh. which is obviously a little bit hotter, a little bit longer than the light roast that we're drinking. When you're roasting, you 
add beans to the roaster, which you have preheated to about 300 degrees. Uh-huh. Told you it was at least 100. <laughs> and when you add the beans, they start roasting. They dry out. You roast all the humidity out of them. Okay. They turn from that greenish color to a bright yellow. Okay. And then after a few minutes, that yellow transitions a little bit more. There's this flaky stuff. It's literally the chaff from the coffee bean. Mm-hmm. Start falling off, and then suddenly you hear pops. Okay. And that's literally the last little bit of that chaff starting to break off. And airflow carries it away into a chaff collector and so on. Okay. And that's when you hit the true light roast range. Okay. Then you keep roasting a little bit more, and eventually those pops will start. Okay. And that's when you hit the medium range. You sit in there for a little bit. And honestly, I I get the appeal of some of the medium roasts because the longer you roast coffee, the more the sugars in it will cook, which means that they'll caramelize a little bit and actually become more sweet. Okay. I think that's why a lot of folks like that medium to dark roast range is because there's a lot of sweetness, a lot of sugar to balance out the the tart flavors, the acidic flavors that you get in light roast. Mm. And then after, again, a few moments, you start hearing another little pop. And this is a really cool phase. It's, it's when the cell walls of the coffee bean start breaking down. I mean, like any plant matter, there are yeah. cell walls that hold the, the structure of the, the thing together. Yeah. And they'll start breaking down while gases start escaping from the bean. Okay. That's when you hit the dark roast range. And, again, the longer you sit there, you start to develop some really chocolatey flavors, perhaps some smoky flavors, maybe, like, really cool caramel stuff going on. And some of the background flavors of the wood pulp itself, like either cinnamon or clove or cardamom tones, start coming out. Okay. And eventually you hit a point of diminishing returns where you start cooking all those things off and you end up with charcoal. Um, if I'm going to be really frank about where like Starbucks and uh-huh. Dunkin' Donuts lives, uh-huh. I'm not going to say it's the charcoal range. Okay. They're roasting it dark enough to, quote, homogenize with heat. Okay. Because they're using a lot of coffee over a long period of time. time. Their Pikes Place coffee from 20 years ago, they want to taste like the Pikes Place from this year. Okay. So they're roasting to make sure that the cup of coffee you get is always going to be the same thing. And that yeah, means, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that means probably in the French roast range, which is a little bit after that second crack. Okay. And it tastes great with cream. And it tastes great with sugar. So they're getting a more uniform product because they're taking it into that those later stages. Exactly. Which okay. it, and, and doesn't that allow... <coughs> oh, there it is. Which doesn't that allow them to um, maybe source cheaper, lower quality beans and essentially uh, um, still have a uniform, homogenous flavor, whether you're in Seattle or, you know, small town? Absolutely. And I mean, there's some more recent practices that I'm not a huge fan of with that, where Starbucks and some of these other big companies have actually started buying up farmland. And started mass producing, mass growing coffee. And it hits some of those methods that like Folgers and Maxwell House were doing a generation ago. Okay. But beyond that, it's, it's exactly that. They, um, they're able to use, say, a Brazilian coffee or a Colombian coffee from s- numerous farms across the region. Mm-hmm. And lump them all together, roast them similarly, and get 
a pretty similar flavor. Also, as a result result of that, I mean, the, the super high-end flavors you're getting out of, like, this Ethiopia, we're talking about top-lot stuff that's pretty expensive. Whereas they can go down a few grades in coffee. Right. I mean, like, every agricultural product, there are grades of... Yeah of what went into it, of what's coming out of it, of how well processed it was. I mean, the Ethiopian system has like nine grades to it. And every, every country, every growing region has their own methods. Mm. But the truly specialty coffee out of Ethiopia is grade one and grade two. Sure. So Starbucks is not sourcing grade one Ethiopian beans for their Pike's Place. Yeah, they're, they're sourcing maybe grade four, grade right. five. Because they can bring the roast up. They can basically kind of caramelize these things in the French roast kind of category. And then it's just still going to be okay, especially when you pour a bunch of cream on it. Yeah, exactly. now, now Starbucks is catching up though. So I don't know. I want, wonder how you feel about this because uh, like any good business they're they're looking at the kind of third wave. So if you're listening, uh, Philip, you can, you can correct me if I'm wrong. First wave coffee would be considered the diner coffee, Folgers, Maxwell exactly. house, Second wave is going to be that um, Starbucks, uh, what else? Pete's Place. Pete's, uh, Caribou, Green Caribou, Mountain. Uh, who are really kind of taking, basically saying, well, we can do better than the diner. Yeah. And we can mass produce it like crazy. And and uh, and then third wave would be more of what, I don't know, yeah. the, specialized coffee shops. The, t- the term that I like to use and I've heard used by others is craft coffee. Yeah. I mean, we're living in an era where, there are craft microbreweries and distilleries yeah. where everyone's about the foodie restaurant experience and locally grown mm-hmm. and all of that. And Starbucks is catching on, right? They're doing a lot more of these light roasts and, and regional roasts. And so so maybe it's not, of course, you haven't been there because the last time you were there was 12 years ago and you brought your With own your coffee own French and French press. <laughs> um, but for the most part, what you're saying does seem to be, to be yeah. right as far as some of those big, um, you know, Dunkin' Donuts, Starbucks. Well, well, and with Starbucks example, they're doing these roaster reserve stores now. I haven't been in one, but I've been paying attention where they do have, quote, single origin coffees up on the menu that you can get as... A pour over or... I think they're mostly doing them through the clover machine. Oh, okay. Yeah, which is like this weird inverted French press method. Um, and It's like a $20,000 French press, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's insane. Because you got to do that sometimes. Sometimes it'd be like that. (laughs) (laughs) because sometimes you just got to get the robot that's right yeah so i think like in the same way that i think it was anheuser-busch looked at the craft beer movement Mm -hmm. and saw how they were eating up it was like five to ten percent of the overall beer market in the united states and they didn't want to lose that market so with anheuser-busch's method they went the route of actually buying up a lot of these small craft breweries Mm -hmm. With Starbucks, they decided to keep it a little bit more insular. Yeah. So they looked at what these small shops were doing and set up these smaller roaster reserve restaurants where they have things like an Ethiopia Yurga Chef and a Columbia Santa Barbara State uh, coffees on the menu. And they're trying to hit lighter roasts. They're trying to hit some of that more unique flavor. But in just because I haven't been in a Starbucks doesn't mean I haven't had their coffee. I can tell you I've had some of this coffee and it's, it's an attempt at something good. <laughs> That's nice. 
I, the best I can say about it is it's an attempt at something good. You know, as a matter of fact, that's that could be a life motto for me. Yeah. I am Jesse. I attempt <laughs> good things. Uh, and that's as far as I can go. Oh, buddy. You, uh, you try. I, well, yeah, I try. Anything worth doing is worth doing poorly. That, that literally is my life motto. <laughs> is that going on your gravestone? Yeah. Here lies Jesse Fury. <laughs> an attempt at something good. <laughs> He did a lot of things poorly. <laughs> okay, moving on. So, uh, so talk a little bit about the role that coffee can and does play in relationships and hospitality. So here we are. We're sharing a cup of coffee. Yeah. Um, so, so how does that affect? You know, you just talk a little bit about that. You're, you're in the coffee industry. How do you see coffee working out in relationships? Working out with hospitality. Oh man, this this is a huge, huge thing for me. And I think at Radford Coffee, we've held this this informal motto for years since we started that we want to be like Radford City's living room. Mm. And I like that. I've never yeah. heard that, but I like that. Yeah, and, and what it is is it's it's this thing that we all enjoy that some of us maybe really, really like the particular, but in general, we all enjoy coffee. It's an easy medium. It's an easy way to communicate, hey, I'm going out of my way to do something warm and inviting for you to open a means of communication, to open a means of just letting you know I love you as a person and I want to I want to be a part of your life or I want you to feel welcome to be a part of my life. Mm. And right now I'm reading through a book called setting the table by Danny Meyer. Okay. And he's a CEO of an industry that runs a lot of the huge, like five star restaurants and has, I don't want to know how many Michelin stars to his name, but one of the quotes that comes out of his book is that you want to make sure that in whatever you do and whether it be a restaurant and inviting someone into your living room or church, whatever that someone feels like something is being done for them. Something is being extended to them instead of it being a transactional business mm. relationship. And mm. in the previous recording, you said you, you want to avoid that transaction feeling. And really, ultimately, when you hit that transactional feeling, instead of feeling like something's being done for you, you feel like something's being done to you. Yeah, yeah, or taken from you. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm. So with coffee, I mean, it's this, I'm not going to say simple model, but it's this way of opening the door and yeah. Yeah. And for, and really for thousands of years, it's kind of the primary, uh, you know, um, like entry point into hospitality, whether you're in your own home hosting yeah. or you're just out. Right. Yeah. I mean, you want to get a cup of coffee? Can I pour you a cup of coffee? Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, and, and I, I really enjoy your your illustration earlier about um, barista as barista, right? I mean, t- barista, you, you mentioned this in our, again, in the... Take one. And take one, which is, which is nowhere. It's nowhere. <laughs> but uh, how barista comes from the Italian for bartender. Yeah. And how um, really the idea there being, I'm getting to know the people that are here. They're getting to know me. I'm I'm a kind of a trusted confidant of, and, and so um, 
And so really across the board for thousands of years, coffee has been this kind of shared experience. This, I like the way you put it with hospitality being doing something for you. Yeah. Uh, because we've talked before here about how uh, hospitality in particular isn't, you know, I grew up with this vision of hospitality as that's something people we, we do when we kind of use the fine china. Yeah, in the dining room. Yeah, yeah. As a matter of fact, when I came on staff with Campus Crusade for Christ, uh, the uh, crew, um, back way back in the day, uh, that was back in the Bill and Vonette Bright times, and, and, and we, we had like trainings on hospitality, and it was very formal, like Southern hospitality, and I just was like, this is so weird. Yeah. Like, I didn't grow up. I didn't grow up in a house with, we didn't have fine China. Uh, we just, it was kind of like, there's a meal. You want to come in and eat with us? Yeah. Um, and so, so, but I, so anyway, I like the idea of taking it outside of the realm with hospitality of the fine China and into the realm of, uh, of what basically doing something for someone, giving someone space, uh, yeah. being present with someone, creating a kind of home experience. That's why I love the idea of Radford's living room. Yeah. And I mean, beyond that, I and mean, going to a coffee shop, looking at somebody, whether it be the new person who just showed up to church that has no idea why they're there, maybe someone you want to have a business conversation with, whatever it is, saying, hey, let's go down to Radford Coffee or mm. let's go over to Red Rooster or whatever the local coffee shop is and let's get a cup of coffee because it's this usually bright, warm, cozy environment that's just easy to feel safe in. Yeah. Mm. This is this is why I think it's so important. If you're if you're in the coffee industry out there, um, there was a time, and I don't I don't think it's quite so much anymore. But there was a time where uh, coffee shops, almost in a way of um, distinguishing themselves from the Starbucks and the Caribou's, made you feel dumb. Yeah. Right. Like if you wanted cream in your coffee, it was like you were anathema. You yeah. know, you were you're not welcome in my house. Dude, I went into a coffee shop like that like two weeks ago. To be fair, were you bringing your own French press and coffee beans? Because I can see why they might not. Yeah, 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 no, no, no. I I, I went into a place I hadn't been before. And like it's one of those few shops in the area that they don't know me. I don't have Mm. a working relationship with their baristas and roasters and so on. And I asked what they had available, what coffee they had on tap. And I got this really long drawn out explanation of something. And I, 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 as I mean, I don't want to tout how much I know about coffee, but I'm a really smart guy. <laughs> I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I was staying there thinking, I was like, you know what? I, I feel talked down to about coffee mm. and regardless of whether I know coffee or not, this is not a pleasant experience. Right. Uh, and condescension and hospitality, they don't go together. They, they don't. And it, it's something cool that I've seen happening in the coffee movement in the past yeah. few years where there's a new openness to communication, to hospitality, not just towards customers, but towards each other. Yeah. There's been this kind of breakdown you would think within a business industry where we have a half dozen coffee shops in the area that there would be these really kind of hard lines between me and Tony out at Red Rooster and Quincy down at R&D mm-hmm. that we would acknowledge each other but not really talk and i'm saying that as i'm wearing a red rooster coffee hey look at that i just noticed that you're repping uh repping the competition oh look at both of you guys oh and i even i i just got a radford coffee company shirt 
and I didn't wear it. Should have worn it. This would have been the great, great yeah. opportunity to wear it. But, yeah. Oh, you know what? For the YouTube video, I'll wear it. <laughs> <laughs> but, hey, it's, yeah, keep going. But yeah, it's it's this thing where coffee as an industry has become a very community driven thing. Mm. Where I'm friends with most of the guys in the area, and we'll sometimes talk just very specifics about coffee. Have these weird instances where. I find out that I bought a bag of something that they've had on the shelf for a while. And by the way, when I say bag, I'm referring to 130 some pounds of coffee. Yeah. Mm. Um, Michael could lift that. Remember <laughs> we talked about how you lift up those bags of flour. flour. We've got some pictures, yeah. previous episodes. So I guarantee yeah. you, Michael could lift that. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I, I mean, I'll, I'll give you a call the next time we, we have a pallet to unload. Hey, Michael, can you help us unload these? <laughs> I'm an hour away, Philip. Yeah, but you, Jesse said that you, Jesse could, lift said you could lift these. Yeah. these They'll in. still be here Come when you get it. here. Hey, let me ask one more question related to this, Philip, before we get into our lightning round. And listen, what we want, what we want to do is we really do want to make a video. Like th- this is going to happen. We're going to, I'm going to hit record next time and it's going to be beautiful. Yeah. Uh, we do want to make a video at some point with you where, where you talk through more about varietals, regions, um, what to look for with coffee, almost like a coffee tasting tutorial and a, and a manual brewing tutorial. We, we'd love to do that with you. We plan to do that with you. Uh, to close out our time here though, would you tell us what you're excited about with the future of coffee? You know, industry. And now you've kind of already been doing this because right. I, I wanted to. I wanted to press in a little bit. It seems like there's collaborations happening. Um, I know. I know in our region, Red Rooster and R and D, they collaborated on a on a roast together that I thought was pretty cool. There's more partnership, uh, maybe closer relationships with growers, better economic investments back into the growers and the co-ops. What are you excited about with the future of coffee? Um, honestly, the huge thing that I'm excited about, and you kind of hit the nail on the head when you were talking about more direct relationships with growers. Okay. Uh, there's this awesome thing, I mean, with technology, with the internet, with ease of travel, I mean, until uh, recently, um, the world's getting smaller. And a good example of that is recently I signed up for this online event where since everything in the world's been canceled right now, a few of the guys that put on some of the industry trade shows just decided to put on these online networking events. I signed up for them, watched a couple of videos, and all of a sudden I had a couple of guys, one from Honduras and one from the Congo, calling me, seeking me out. Mm. And in the example of the guy from Honduras, he has family down in Honduras that grows coffee, and after he was done with his military service in the States... He decided to invest some money into developing a co-op down there to work with his family and some of their neighbors to source their local coffee and get it shipped direct to the U.S. And he contacted me, wanted to send me some samples, and honestly, that was the first time I've seen a, the ability of a grower to reach out to a coffee shop. Mm. And I would play and say that's that's just something going on with the fact that this guy's an American and he's trying to trying to help his family out. But I saw the same thing happen with a guy from the Congo who was actually born in the Congo, now lives in the States. And he's w- trying to work for economic independence in his little section of the Congo that borders Rwanda. And 
they're growing coffee there. He's trying to help a few of the villages in the area get stuff sent to the U.S. And he's using that to fund these villages to help them bolster their own economy a little bit so that the next time there's maybe a basically a gang that goes through and is looking for guys who want a little bit of economic freedom, want to make sure that they have food to put on the table, they have an option other than picking up a gun and going mm. after some some enemy. They, mm. they can say, well, we have this coffee farm growing or we have this, or they're trying to do things like buy back mineral rights with some of the proceeds of the coffee so that they can look into the long term and actually actually thrive as a culture. Um, and I can name some other instances. I took a coffee roasting class with a guy from Brazil. Okay. All of this is to say is these direct trade relationships, these, these little short paths instead of these long, long stories to how I got to the coffee, mm. but these short paths to get the coffee to the roaster, to the cup, are going to be the future of coffee. I mean, mm. there's some experimental stuff that's exciting. There's some new exciting brewing methods happening. But this interconnectedness, this this community that we talked about within the United States of coffee, growing and becoming a global thing is what's going to change lives for these farmers. Mm. That's amazing. That's exciting. Thank you, Philip. That makes me excited too. Let's move into our lightning round. Yeah. So, uh, you know, as a longtime listener, Philip, you already know this, but we, <laughs> in our lightning round, we totally. do, we, we're just going to ask you a few questions, answer them just quick. Okay. So <laughs> that's something I'm trying right now is just answer them quick. All right. We might. Maybe we'll just edit that out. <laughs> we'll yeah. see. Yeah. Do, we'll do see. we want to redo that so that you can? Nah, well, keep so it. what? I can do it worse? All right, let's go. <laughs> What's something under $100 that every coffee lover should own? I'm going to say a refurbished Baratza Encore coffee grinder. Boom. If you're going to really enjoy coffee, if you're going to play around with brewing methods, if you're going to hone in your brewing, you need a good grinder. And mm. there's some out there that are under $100, but... Specifically with the Barazza, it's refurbished. It's usually a much more expensive machine, but I have a couple of refurbished of these. And they work. They work great. And what is that? Probably like $99.99? Yeah. like, like That's it, fine. It's, it's under 100 it's, Yeah, it's barely scraping under Yeah, we'll, we'll try to find a link to a refurb and put it on there. If we can't, we'll put uh, it to the real thing. Uh, I'll send you a link because they actually have it on their website. They're all about this oh. thing that they're... Coffee grinders are so reliable they that do. they're willing to refurbish them and send them back out for more use. I've, I even so I have the I have the Baratza Encore and and when you take it out of the box, they've got like a a note in there that basically is like, please don't throw this away. Like we'll fix it. Mm. They're they're like pushing hard for you to not. Mm. I also have a Baratza. I have the Vario Vario. You have the Vario. You have the ni- really nice one. Well. It's pretty good. It's pretty good. Yeah. For, and and I mean the the thing is like I said reliable, but to the point that I, as a holdover from buying a much more expensive grinder, yeah, I figured out that there was a way to upgrade the Encore into, kind of the next tier up just by changing out a couple of components for like thirty dollars. Oh man! So here's what you can do if you're listening at home: buy that hundred dollar refurb. Contact Philip Martin. Offer him fifty dollars <laughs> to upgrade your 
your encore, and then it's going to really rock and roll. Now, you also, I'm going to go ahead and give a bonus here uh, because you mentioned this again in our in our failed video. Um, you, you mentioned <laughs> also the importance of having a um, a little kitchen scale. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, that's the thing. I mean, it kind of blows my mind to a degree that this isn't something more folks have in their kitchen. But I don't, we don't have one. What? Yeah, that's that's years. <laughs> oh, you know what? We do have one. Yeah, you, you, <laughs> have, look, you have to have one. <laughs> but we didn't have one until until um, bread. The, no, yeah, until, until the sourdough joined, mafia. Yeah. Uh, welcome to send the, the familia. Yeah, and then we had to get one for bread because all all the recipes that your wife Michael was sending my wife were like measure out this much weight of flour. Yeah, if you want to join. And I was like, well, how many scoops is it? How many, just tell me how many scoops. And they're like, no, 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 Phil, tell them, yeah. tell them about scoops. <laughs> no, you can't do scoops. Don't do scoops. Yeah, and, and you mentioned a good scale, and I can point you to a couple of examples of things for like 10 to $20. Boom. But the big deal is, if we're talking about coffee, I mentioned how when you get to the darker roast, the cell wall of it starts breaking down and gases escape. And what's happening there is the coffee bean is actually expanding in size, expanding in volume. Obviously. So you end up having a coffee bean that can be up to double the size of a light roast bean, but weigh the exact same. Mm. So what happens when you're measuring by volume is with a darker you roast. You blow it. You screw it yeah, up. Well, you either end up with a really weak dark roast or you end up with a super strong, super almost bitter and tart light roast. Mm, interesting. Um, so, and that's why actually why for years people have said light roast can be a little bit more caffeinated. Well, if you're doing two tablespoons of a light roast versus a dark roast, you're ending up with more base caffeine. Twice in the as bean. Much. <laughs> yeah. Oh, huh. Interesting. Interesting. All right. Lightning round. Number two, what manual brewing method do you recommend for a newbie? Oh, gosh. I'm going to say pick up something like the Chemex okay. or maybe the Kalita Wave and stick with it. Okay. I mean, there's a ton of brewing methods out there. This is a probably a problem of mine. At least my wife would say so for the 20-some <laughs> brewing methods I buy. Um, you have but, an addiction, Phil. But yes. pick up something. <laughs> if you carry it around in your pocket, that you have a problem. Yeah. But pick up something like the Chemex or the Kalita Wave, and stick with it and master it. Mm. Um, because it's easy Become to Become the Wave Master. <laughs> because it's it's easy to think, oh, I'm, I'm going to hop to this method and get a rudimentary understanding of it. And you might and jump to something else, or you mm. can stick with that and keep honing it and keep crafting it until you, you can do it in your sleep. Mm. Good, good. Best coffee someone can buy in a grocery store? Um, around here, Kroger has a private selection series of single origin coffees. Okay. Those are good. Um, if you're going to look around, say, hit somewhere that isn't one of the Kroger's in this corner of the U.S., Look for a local roaster. Look for something smaller. I mean, in the Richmond area of Virginia, they have Blanchard's. Um, Charlottesville, I know they have Shenandoah Joe in their, um, in their grocery stores. And all this is to say is a lot of these grocery stores look around for someone local. And, I mean, literally turn the thing over, see where it was produced, and see if you can pull up a website and figure out how oriented they are on small 
small growers and craft coffee. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Excellent. Hey, by the way, I have found, I think this is true. Okay. This is just a theory. I can't really test it, but I, I think that most, uh, say at least medium, uh, companies will put a, a sell by date. That's exactly one year after their roasting date. It's, it's something like that. Come on, um, Tell me I'm right. I really think I'm right. So typically what I look at, when I look at a sell by date, I try to do the math backwards and figure out like if I'm, you know, if I'm looking at that private selection, yeah. for instance, and it's sell by date is like in a month, I'm like, oh, that was roasted a long time ago. Yeah. So I, I go back to the, what's in the back? What's behind these <laughs> bags? I mean, the tough thing with coffee is there's not, at least in Virginia, there's not an industry standard on what an expiration or a freshness state should mm. be. Mm. Um, personally, with everything I roast, with what Radford Coffee does, we don't put a sell-by or a best-by date. We put a date on which it was roasted. Sure. And that's because preferentiality is going to vary from person to person. I have a window of time that I like to drink my coffee in after roast. Yours might be a little bit different. The guy who's looking for something maybe local or whatever doesn't care that much. Um, but instead of saying, oh, it's good by this particular time, saying when it was produced yeah. is a better picture of when it was well roasted and when it's going to be fresh till. Mm. Good, good. How much creamer is too much? Objectively. <laughs> I would say that if you are putting cream or sugar in your coffee before you taste it, regardless of how much you put in, that is too much. Oh, no. In the same way that common etiquette says that before you grab the salt and pepper shakers at the dining room table, you need to taste what you're eating to see Mm. what the chef has put into it, to Mm. see what it tastes like of its own virtue. You need to taste your cup of coffee and see what it tastes like. And then, honestly, for some of the medium roast, a little bit of cream, like a tablespoon maybe, might accentuate some of the body of it and draw out some of the chocolatey stuff. Mm. Or a light roast, maybe a dash of sugar, um, will open up some of the citrusy or fruity tones and change it into something different. That said, if you're taking your black coffee and making it the color of, like, parchment paper... Mm. That's eh. going to be a good cup of coffee right there. <laughs> yeah. Especially if that's like some French vanilla or something. Mm, uh, it's like French vanilla hot chocolate, basically. But um, You know, Philip here, this is what I do in the morning. I, I, um, I, either my wife or myself will whip whipped cream. Will you float it on top? or will and, you? and then we float it on top. Nice. Is that okay? Is For that acceptable? Real. For real, I do I that. Mean, I mean, do you enjoy it that way? You're darn right I do. <laughs> so, so, and this is a quote that I pull from, I think it's Steve Green from Mill City Roasters, who manufactured the coffee roaster that I roast on, is that the most important quality to a cup of coffee is that you enjoy it. Amen. If So float your whipped cream. Float there, your cream, Jesse. baby. <laughs> I mean, if the way you like your cup of coffee is black with a little bit of floated cream and maybe a dash of cinnamon, or power to you, man. If around this time of year you like a pumpkin spice latte. PSL. I mean, that, honestly, if you find a place so that does basic. it right, that's a good drink. Mm, mm. I mean, there's a reason why it's as popular as it is. And yeah. most of the guys I hear criticizing the PSLs are also the ones that are posting pictures on Facebook about how they're happy it's Oktoberfest season. <laughs> yeah. 
Have some consistency and integrity, fellas. Right? Am I right? Incidentally, I'm one of those guys. You're yeah. one of those guys. And and listen, thank you for being a guy with us today to talk about vocation and coffee. Thanks, Philip Martin, for joining us for episode 20 of the Hammer and Quill. Shout out to Radford Coffee Company and our friends Eric and Barbara Johnson, the founders, uh, for being Radford's living room. Yeah. Yeah, and. And before we close out, I do want to mention, I, I neglected this, Radford Coffee Company is not only just this really sweet place in Radford, Virginia, we direct all of our funds to an education project in Nicaragua, mm. where we're using the proceeds of what we're doing to put kids through school, mm. to give them an education, to hopefully either either get out of this little corner of Nicaragua that's completely impoverished, almost completely neglected by their government and get out, get an education. And in a lot of cases, this education program we've had going has been going since the eighties. These kids are learning how to be teachers and doctors and businessmen awesome. and lawyers and coming back to their villages to pour into their community. Excellent. Awesome. River, Excellent. River to river, right? River Your to un river. Unofficial slogan, Radford's living room. Official slogan, River to river. Yeah. Exactly. New river to, what's what's the river in Nicaragua? It's either the Rio Coco or the Wanky River. Awesome. Excellent. Head over to the Radford Coffee Company website. We'll link to that in the show notes. You can find out more about that. Shout out to RCC for giving us a bag of coffee to give away, which we'll be doing on social oh. media. Maybe we've already done it by the time this comes out. Keep your eye out for coffee making and tasting tutorial on YouTube. We are going to become multimedia influencers <laughs> one day. Until then, tune in next time for an interview with Dr. Jonathan Pennington about his exciting new book, Jesus the Great Philosopher. Thank you, listeners, for tuning in. Please subscribe. Review us on iTunes. One day you'll be subscribing on YouTube, but not today, just on iTunes, Spotify, Wherever you listen to your podcast, throw some five-star reviews our way. Until next time, 